as you're sitting down. It's good to be in God's presence. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We have a special treat today on this Mission Sunday. Um, pastor Kurt Dolliba is with us, and he happens to be one of my pastors. Yay! Yay! That's exciting in the house. So he serves in our district um, as the secretary treasurer of our district. Um, and so he pastors me. And um, so it's always good for us to position our heart uh, toward our leaders and towards people who um, spiritual moms and dads. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Amen. And so Pastor Dolliv is here. He's going to bring the word. And specifically, we've asked him to um, help guide us in missions. We want to understand better the heart of God and how to join him in what he's doing all around the world. How many of you know, like, what's happening inside of us is important? Like, what God's doing inside of you is important. But if you spend your entire life focused on you, that's a boring life. Three of us agree, that's a boring life. So we want God to be at work in us, but we want God to be working through us. We want to partner with him. He's making all things new. That's amazing. I want to be a part of that. And the end game is his glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be on the sidelines for that. And so missions is one way, both what God is doing in reaching people here locally, but really around the world. There are places that have no access to the gospel unless one of us go. And so we really want to understand better the heart of God in this and how we partner with God in that. And so Pastor Kurt, come, bring the word.
And it was a big seniors group. They had like over 200 people. And, uh, and just before the seniors pastor uh, invited me to come up to speak, he said, and, and Brother Lee, that was my grandfather, has something he would like to say. Now, my grandfather at that time was about 92, and uh, he had uh, never driven in his life, so he would, when he would come to visit, he would ask me to take him to the library or something, and then he would go and he'd come out with books of poetry, and he had read something in Reader's Digest. This was like back when he was in his 60s, you know, like me, and, uh, and he would get these books and he would, he would write down poems that meant something to him and he would memorize them. And uh, he says, because he read in Reader's Digest that if you keep your mind active, you know, it will stay active longer. And so he did that. Well, anyway, I'm at this meeting and they asked him to come up first and, and say something. And I, uh, we were just really weeks away from going overseas. And he said, you know, my my son and his wife and, and my two grandchildren are going to be leaving soon to go overseas. And I'm not sure that I will ever see them again. And they thought, oh my goodness, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I was very close to my grandparents. And why are you doing this to me? And he says, so, and I, I just don't know if I can do it. So I, I've decided I'm going to go with them. And my grandmother is freaking out. She's going like, he means spiritually. He means spiritually, you know. And he says, but he says, I'm really too old to travel anymore. So he says, I'll just travel on my knees. And he quoted that poem, I'm traveling on my knees. And it talked about praying for people when you can't actually go to be where they are. And when it was all, I mean, he just quoted this whole thing verbatim and I, and then the guy got up and said, now, Kurt, if you would come up and speak to us. And I'm like, <laughs> you know. But missions impacted my life in a powerful way, not only because we were missionaries, but I started on my whole understanding of missions and reaching out to the world when I was 16, going to be 17. I was very much... Uh, at the time of uh, being 14 to 16, very much involved in deaf culture. Um, I was at the church. I was an interpreter. I worked at the New Jersey School for the Deaf. Every day after school, I was very, very much involved in that. But even that came as a shock to me because our district director for the deaf, once I saw him, he was a very friendly guy. And I, I said, hey, I saw a couple of deaf people this week, you know, and he he said, oh, yeah, did you say hi to him? I said, well, I, I just thought of you. I didn't say hi to him. I don't speak sign language. And, and he said, well, learn it. And I, it, it kind of jolted me, you know, because as a 14-year-old, you know, I had my own things. He said, well, learn it. And I learned it. And I really learned it. And I really learned it. And, I, and all through uh, high school then and, and into college, I was an interpreter. But in the summer... Uh, of 1972, there was Olympics in Munich, Germany. And earlier on in the year, my dad uh, got a brochure on his desk talking about ambassadors and mission, which is where the young people in the Assemblies of God could go on missions trips. And he handed me the brochure, 
And he said, uh, hey, would you be interested in doing this, going uh, overseas? And I said, no. Because I, I was doing what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do. And I was interested in that. And that was really my passion at the time. A few more months went by, I got another brochure. And he said, wouldn't you be interested in doing this? And I said, hmm. So I worked for my uncle that summer and went to the Olympics. That was the famed or infamous Olympics where the nine Israelis were um, murdered. And that was where we went with a team of over 200 people. That changed my life. I mean, I have an interest in language, as I already talked about in, in working in deaf culture. But German, I just somehow got the bug for that. And it, start, it changed the course. I started to uh, learn more about that. I'd made a couple of friends. I started trying to get German into my head. I studied it. Any opportunity I had and uh, ended up going as an intern from CBC for the summer. I ended up going to work uh, as uh, a missionary associate after I got out of college for a year. Um, and then throughout the 80s, because I'd been a children's pastor, I would take my puppets overseas and, and different places. And I mean, it just changed. And then we became missionaries and we were working with uh, Iranians, refugees that were living in Germany because my wife and I both are German speaking. We uh, thought that we were going to do that. I thought we'd work with Turks. We ended up working with Iranians. And, uh, and I'll be talking a little bit about that as I get into my message. But my life, I think, being the overthinker that I am, could have become very, very self-involved. My life could have been very much about what I wanted to do and what I was interested in doing. But because my dad put a brochure in front of me and said, would you be interested in this? Obviously, I wasn't at first, but I became interested in that. And it began to change the trajectory of my life. Why? Because Jesus didn't save me just so that I could be involved with Jesus and involved in my uh, own world of becoming a better and more highly developed individual. It had also to do in reaching out to other people. Now, thankfully, in reaching out to other people, it has affected me personally as well, and I've grown and I've developed, and, and not just sitting in my room and thinking about uh, myself and about what I was going through or what I needed to change. No, it was now about there was something bigger than Kurt Dalaba. God has called us to a mission, something that is bigger than we are. And I believe it's a supernatural mission. And it's a, not just a supernatural mission, but it's a mission where we are telling people that God is interested in where they are at where they are at, because we go, because we send people, we are telling those people that we are coming into contact that God knows where you're at. And that's what the message is about today. It's called, what does this mean? What does this mean? If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 12, this will be kind of the kickoff verse that we will uh, begin as we look at this. What does this mean? And they, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Have you ever had like a couple of emotions going on at the same time? It's like, wow, how amazing. It's like, oh my goodness. That's what was happening here. 
there was something happening on the day of Pentecost that was amazing people because they'd not, they'd not seen anything like that. They'd not heard anything like this before. And it was amazing to them. And yet, whenever we see something that is kind of outside of our comfort zone, something for the first time, people acting in ways that uh, we wouldn't predict that they would act, then it, it can cause us some anxiety. And uh, in fact, why do you think when angels come, it's not like, oh, hey, angel, how you doing? Hey, Gabe, how you doing? Gabriel, oh, Michael, hi. No, when angels come, they go, don't be afraid. Because it doesn't happen every day. Why? Because when we come into contact with the supernatural, it can be unsettling. When, when the supernatural begins to get manifested, we wonder, what is going on? What could this mean? What does this mean for me? What are my kids experiencing right now? What, what does this mean? Let's pray. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name that you will give us some understanding today into your word. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to see the things that you are trying to say to us and hear the inner word of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, that as we come around the table of your word, that you will shed light on our darkened understanding so we can understand it because we can't understand these things on our own. And Lord, we pray that you will also send your spirit to fortify our crippled wills so that we can do the things that become revealed to us because we don't want to just get information today. We need an encounter with your spirit. We want to be people of mission. We want to be following you wherever your spirit is leading and doing whatever your spirit wants us to do. So Lord, we don't want to leave here today knowing more and doing worse. Lord, we pray that we will know better and we will do better because of the empowerment of your spirit. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Before the day of Pentecost, there was preparation that Jesus gave that something unique was going to happen. Jesus was telling them, of course, about uh, the cross. They were concerned that they were going to be left alone. Remember, many people thought Jesus or Messiah was going to be a political redeemer to free them from the oppression of Rome. Jesus came and he was doing a lot of different things that was kind of outside uh, the box of what normal Jewish people thought that uh, a Messiah would do. And so a lot of the disciples attached themselves uh, to Jesus for different reasons. Yes, he called them, but some thought, cool, this guy's got power. You know, there were some that even thought, you know, because Jesus could raise the dead and because Jesus could heal people and dramatically so, they thought, wow, if we could just kind of channel this energy into some political power here, we could get rid of Rome. They, we could just kick them out of the country. And so they thought, yes, he's our guy. And then he's, he said, but this is what's going to happen in my life. And they were like, what do you mean you're not going to be here? What do you mean you're going to leave us? And, they, you know, and he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you without help. But there's something bigger and there's something outside of what your expectation of me was. There's something a lot bigger than that. And it, it, it kind of shattered their thinking a bit. And so he comforted them. Before he went to the cross... He said in John 14, verse 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Uh, you know, he abides with you. They were under covenant. The Jews were under covenant. And, and, and so they were okay. And that they always were comforted in the fact that God was with them. You know, even as they were coming out of Egypt and they would go through the desert, uh, it was always comforting to know that, is God really with us? This has been a long trip. This has been going on a long time. They could go and open up the tent flap and look out there towards the tabernacle or the tent of meeting where God had said there will be during the day a pillar of cloud. And when you look at that, I will hover right over the tabernacle, the temple of the, the tent of meeting. I will hover over that. You look and you know I'm with you. And at night, if you're having a troubled night and you can't sleep well and you wonder, is God still with us? Open up the tent flap and look towards the tent of meeting and you'll see a pillar of fire and you can remind yourself God is with us. And Jesus is saying he abides with you. So yeah, we know that. We've been trained in this way. But he said he will be in you. The whole idea of being filled or having God live in you was only briefly touched upon in the Old Testament. It wasn't a broadly understood concept, but will be in you. It's like, wow, what we have always known to be with us will now be in us. After Jesus went to the cross and after he rose from the dead, but before the day of Pentecost that we're going to be talking about, we look at John 20, 22. He's talking to them. Remember now, he has come back to life. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is what happens to anybody who is born again. Receive the Spirit. This is what Pentecostals call the indwelling of the Spirit. So, you know, Pentecostals, you know, well, I, I'm going to say they don't say this, but there's always going to be a few that are going to say something. But when people say, you Pentecostals think we don't have the Spirit. No, 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 we're not saying that. We believe to be part of Jesus' family of followers, the Spirit will live within you. He, he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. This is the moment when they're born again. You say, well, no, I thought when he called them, they were born. No, you can't be born again without the cross and without resurrection from the dead. You can't be born again until then. It's a supernatural act. Born again. I can remember in the Carter years, he was the first self-titled born again past, I mean, uh, president. And so people, everything was born again at that point. Try our soap. It's like being born again. Everything was born again, you know. Buy this cleanser and you'll be born again, you know. And it's like, and so born again kind of entered into the culture is like a new start. It's like, oh, wow, this soap made me feel so fresh. I feel like I'm born again. No, this was really something supernatural that happened. Being born again is not just a new start or a new way of thinking. It is actually being charged with the life of God. What's very interesting is the correlation between breath that he's talking about here, and breath at the beginning of creation. When God created Adam and formed him out of the dust of the ground, it says he breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living soul. But in the garden, in the garden, he, they were told, you can do whatever you want here, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat from that tree, you will certainly die. But isn't it interesting that human nature, you know, it kind of, it's like, 
that one thing I can't, that's what we want. You know, you watch little kids. Now adults are way beyond this. But little kids, if you say don't do that, they will slowly inch towards the thing. So they inched. And they bit. And they died. You say, well, no, they didn't die. Look, they were still walking around. They got kicked out of the garden and they walked out of the garden. The thing is, is but something fundamental happened to them. The life of God just left them. And now after Jesus Christ died on the cross and was born again, at this moment, he says, receive the Spirit. This is even before Pentecost. Receive the Spirit. Indwelling of the Spirit. Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. See, this is not just hanging out with other Christians. This is a fundamentally supernatural thing that takes place. And he said, receive the Spirit. Now, before he ascended into heaven and also before the day of Pentecost, he gathered them together and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is after the receive the Spirit. And look at Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. He didn't say this will happen to you and you're going to do more witnessing. You'll hand out more tracts. You'll invite more people to church. No, he says, you're going to witness something. This is my only hope, having been born almost 2,000 years after Jesus Christ was on earth. This is my hope of really witnessing something, is walking in a dimension of the Spirit to where people could see that I'm not just a good Sunday school kid that has passed on stories that I learned. I'm not passing on a tradition. My dad, you know, is an Assemblies of God minister. You know, I'm, I'm third generation Pentecostal on one side and fifth on the other. And I mean, but what's my hope? I mean, I go to school and people say, oh, the only reason you go to church is because your dad's a minister. And they go on and on about that. But, but the thing was is I had my own encounter with Jesus Christ. I was, I was born again. I was baptized in water when I was 11. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 11 years old. And I mean, that there was something that happened inside of me. It wasn't just the story that got passed down. It was something that happened inside of me. It's like if, if there's an accident and uh, somebody's standing on the corner and there's somebody else that, uh, you know, wasn't there, and that whole accident, you know, the light changes and the red car goes through and hits the blue car and it ends up in court. And they bring somebody up to the stand and they say, what happened there on that day when, when the light changed? And that person says, well, I actually wasn't there. But my neighbor has an aunt who was there. And she said when the light changed, the blue car went through and hit the red car. And, and you know, if you were to trace it back and you could get the, the ant to actually come, you'd probably find the story was true. But the person on the stand wasn't there. You can tell the truth. You can pass something on that's true. But then they call the witness up on the stand who says, oh, I was there. I was, I was just about to cross over when the light changed. And that 
that blue car just barreled through the light and hit the red car. And everybody's going, well, what was the difference in that? It was closer. He was, a, he was a witness. He didn't give witness to something that he had heard. He was a witness. And this was something that fundamentally was going to change the world. Because not only first generation witnesses that gave us faithful accounts of what happened, but it kept on going and going and going. On the day of Pentecost, this is when it gets very exciting. You see in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance or giving them the words. Let me say what was happening in this occasion was that instead of going, oh, my goodness, there's a loud noise going on. Let's get out of the city. This is weird. What are they doing? Acts 2.6. When this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. You know, so instead of heading for the hills, they wanted to see. They're curious. Because you know what? We're all looking and experiencing things in our lives. And we, we even, even if we're not, you know, fully believers, we're kind of suspecting there's more. There's got to be more. You know, it's like, and, and we realize even the limits of our own coping ability on things. We realize that I can manage it. But everybody has something that they're not managing well. You know, and that's part of the reason why we need a savior. Why do you need a savior? Because you need to be saved from something, okay? And that means that I don't care how together we think we are, we all have a weak spot. How many will say, I got a weak spot? You can look at your neighbor and say, you got a weak spot too. <laughs> so in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, we see that tongues center for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. You know, we all think, oh, I hope nothing weird happens in church today. <laughs> we had Brother Tussie. All the kids wanted to sit by Brother Tussie, because when Brother Tussie got blessed, he'd go, <laughs> like that. And I mean, he had big cheeks, and they kind of go, whoa, 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 you know. And we thought, will today be the day, you know. So when people would say, oh, your dad was a pastor? You had to go to church? That must have been boring. I go, oh, no, 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 no. It was not boring, you know. We, different things happened. I mean, we had a live nativity at Christmas one year in the church. And... Mary came riding on the donkey down the center aisle that my dad had covered with plastic. And 
<laughs> Church is not boring. I tell you, that donkey got halfway down the aisle, lifted up its tail, and plop, plop, plop. And then went up, and then they were all like this, while the, all of us are sitting there going, because while they're performing up there, we've got the pile right down next to us. And then when it comes to people are afraid of supernatural things, why then? You know, let, let's face it. People are not as scared of things that are beyond what they're usually experiencing than what we think. You know, when people pay money to go watch films about zombies <laughs> and vampires. Why? Because we, we, they say that part of the reason we like that and part of the reason we like to go to Cedar Point is that we want to confront our fears because we're afraid. Everybody's afraid of stuff. Everybody's got at least one fear. Okay, and that's why fear not is mentioned so much in the Bible is because we're all dealing with it. And so we figure, I'm going to go see that. I'm going to go see something that's so outside the box that what I'm experiencing may seem small in comparison. And, and people pay money. Like, I don't know what it costs now. It's been years since I've been on a roller coaster, but I used to love them at Cedar Point. But they paid like over 100 bucks from what I understand now to go and stand in line for 45 minutes at the newest roller coaster so that they can scream <laughs> and be really, really afraid. And then we think, you know, it's like, oh, I hope nobody goes praise the Lord today because I'm bringing my friend with me. And if somebody goes, oh, hallelujah, oh no, they're not gonna, come on, let's get real. You know, people may be wondering like, why did that person do that in church? I never saw anything like that before. Maybe something's affecting them. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're sensing something I've never sensed before. Curiosity. Let me tell you, there are events, movements, and people in this life that are bigger than we are. And we take comfort in knowing that there's something bigger than them, bigger than that, bigger than all those things, especially if it's for us. To find out that God was actually for me, that God was on my side, was a great relief. And there, I watched the other day a YouTube video of a, a family, it's talking about this unique thing about Chinese kids that are actually having to raise themselves because of the poverty. And that the parents are having to go off to the city, but they're having to stay there to maintain the farm. So you've got 13 and 14-year-old siblings that are having to manage two or three younger siblings while their mom and dad are away for weeks at a time. And this girl was crying. And she said, I can't wait for mom to come home. Because my brothers and sisters don't listen. And I feel like, what if something happens to them? It's going to be my fault. I mean, I can imagine that kind of pressure at 13 and 14 and 15, the pressure that they would feel in that. But that, that pain. And, and, and I was like, oh, Jesus. That, that's very real. It wasn't like, hey, I'm doing great. I'm the boss here of all my brothers. No, it was affecting her. And I thought, Jesus, please. Send somebody across her pathway, somebody to share with her 
that it's going to be okay. And then when her mother came back who'd been worrying about her, she was still saying, what kind of a child are you that you knocked that thing over? Because, and why, why aren't you working? She was like, I've been doing all of this for weeks, Mom. And I was just hoping I could sit down now that you're home. You know, there's, a, there's, there's stuff bigger that people are going through. You know, we all face big things, but that's part of, with missions, it got me off of just the big stuff that I face into realizing there's a lot of big stuff that a lot of other people are facing. There are people, you know, I face what I consider are my issues. You face what you consider your issues. But I can tell you, anybody could top our issues. You know what I mean? And then if they start to tell their people that can top that issue, and that's not about getting together, it's like, who's got the worst life? It's not what it's about, but it's about getting outside of ourselves and, and, and sharing a hope with people that, because there are things that are bigger. And look at Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And so, well, I could tell you a few that are against me. That's not what it's saying. It's saying when it comes to ultimates, if, if God's on your side, if God is for you, then no matter what anybody does, Jesus said, even if they kill your body, You're going to be okay. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Cheer up. I've overcome the world. Okay? Th these are the keys. It's not like, follow me and you'll never have a problem. He's saying, follow me and cheer up because I've overcome this. It, anybody who can overcome death and come back to life offers me something that I can't conjure up on my own. And that's what the message of the gospel is all about. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Then well, they could kill me. But Jesus is saying, this is not all there is. That's what missions is all about. This is not all there is. And, uh, and until then, we can cheer up. Now, some days you have to coach yourself a little bit more. Well, how can I cheer up with this going on? Yeah. Here, Jesus, look at that bill. Well, that's a good place to start. Look at this. How do I cheer up when this is happening? I don't know naturally how to cheer up. He said, cheer up. He helps me with these things. Of all times, this is not the time for the church to be embarrassed by the supernatural. The Father wants worship to be supernatural. Look at John 4, 23 through 24. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You know, that, that's what Jesus was trying to tell her, because when he was getting really close to what this woman at the well had for issues, relational issues, guilt issues, you know, when he was getting really close, she changed it into a theological discussion. Now, your people say we should worship here, and our people say we worship. And Jesus got right down to it. He says, God is looking for people that will worship him in spirit and truth. This sounds kind of cliche, but I think it's, it's pretty good. It says, it, you know, if you worship in truth only, you will dry up. If you worship in spirit only, you will blow up. But if you worship in spirit and in truth, you will grow up. I think it's pretty good. What it's saying? Balance. What, what's the sense of just studying theology and just studying things in the Bible if, there's, if you're not experiencing life. 
And, and what's the sense of just, oh, I feel this, oh, I feel, oh, God told me to do this. And, you know, God told me what toothbrush to use today and, and what kind of paste to use. And it's like that. You need to get into the word. We're not going just by impulse, but we're not called to dead religion, which is just a passing down of stories from before. He wants us to experience that. And so when, when Jesus is, uh, you know, leading them up to the day of Pentecost, the question becomes then, well, do I need this to be saved? Do I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved? That's always a big question that non-Pentecostal friends will ask me. Do I need this to be saved? Well, the thing is, it, it has more to do than just my salvation. Remember when he said, receive the Spirit? They were born again, but he said, now I want you to wait in Jerusalem because there's something more. The first part was about getting them into heaven. The second part was about pushing them out of their comfort zone and getting them into the world so that they could save those that hadn't heard it yet. They were already saved. It was about those that weren't saved yet. And Jesus told them to do it. To me, that's the big thing. Jesus tells us to do it. So what happened in the upper room could not be contained in that upper room. And if it can be contained and it can be controlled, then how supernatural is it? The invasion of the supernatural will make people feel uncomfortable. But we are to trouble those who are comfortable and comfort those who are troubled. Now, it's this force of the Spirit, that which makes things happen, that moves us outside of our comfort zone. Supernatural encounter took the message deeper than just simple oratory or human speech. Pentecost teaches us that the kingdom is not about politics. Pentecost teaches us is that the kingdom is not about entertainment. Pentecost teaches us that the kingdom is not about cultural superiority. Pentecost teaches us that the, the kingdom is reaching the human heart with supernatural power. Pentecost teaches us that the kingdom is reaching the human heart through one person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, supernatural. I'm going to ask, how, how is what you're doing today affecting you supernaturally? You know, you say, well, I read my Bible this morning. Okay, what did it do for you? Is God speaking to you? Is God, you know, do you have your own real connection with him? Or do you just need to get it from other people? And, and God is challenging us to get beyond ourselves, to, to allow ourselves to be pushed out into something which is beyond just what we need. My final point is God speaks your language. What was happening on this day for me you know, from a linguistic standpoint and from a cultural standpoint, I found fascinating with how God was uh, working this out in the early church. My wife is an immigrant, and uh, she came when she was almost eight, and uh, they came from Brazil, but they were German background Brazilians. So they spoke German at home, and their church was German, but their schools were Portuguese. And so when they came here, then they went to English classrooms. And so when you know about, you know, the church I pastored in South Jersey was 
quote-unquote a German church, but most of them were from around the world, German-speaking, but German-Russians, German-Romanians, German-Brazilians, German-Polish. German was the one thing that united them. And so what you see on the day of Pentecost was when people were coming together. They were coming from all different parts of the world. And part of it was coming back to Jerusalem may have been a trip back for some of them, but for some of the kids, this was the first time they were coming to the homeland. It wasn't homeland to them. It would be like saying, Russia's my homeland. I was born there. I speak Russian. Yeah, we speak a little bit of this at home, but, you know. So the parents wanting to come back to reconnect with Judaism, to reconnect with Hebrew language, to reconnect and reconnect and reconnect, they, they were wanting their kids to experience all this. And so uh, you have people from all over, and it says that they were living there, okay? But, you know, in, in German, if you say living, it can have a double connotation. It means I am a permanent residence there, resident there, or it can also mean that I, I am here for two weeks, and this is where I'm living, where I'm staying, where, I, where my hotel is. Because they'll ask you, where are you living? Well, I, you know, we would say, well, I live in America. Well, no, it's like, no, I mean, where are you living now? Oh, oh, okay, the Holiday Inn Express. So look at chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. The kids were going, I didn't know anybody spoke like that. They don't look like me. Why, why, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Why did they know that? Because they were dressed like Galileans. There was a time where you were identified more strongly by your speech and also by the way you dress. Depending on what side of the mountain you came from, you know what I mean? There might be a region where you kind of all look the same, but if you lived on the other side of the mountain, I could tell you were from there because you had a different twist on your ribbon. Okay, so people were really keen to, you're, you're from here, you're not like me. They were really, really aware of that. We've always been aware of it, but it was really, that's why people in New York City, I don't get it. They can tell, you know, what borough you come from. To me, you all sound like New Yorkers. Okay, I grew up in New Jersey. You all sound like New Yorkers, but they can say, oh yeah, she's from Queens. How do you know? <laughs> How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? This is the experience of the third culture kid. It's like I was born here, but we moved here. And now these person are, persons are speaking in my language. And these are some of the names of where they were all coming from. Parthians and Medes and Elamites. I and mean, Elamites are the Iranians now and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and, and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. This was shattering for them. They were like, what does this all mean? Nelson Mandela said, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. Let me give you just a couple examples, and I close. 
we had a Greek couple that was coming to our church where my dad pastored in Warren, Ohio. And they, they, their understanding of English was uh, further along than their ability to fully express themselves. So they had responded that morning. We found out they were having difficulty in their marriage and uh, they had come forward for prayer. And when they came forward, you know, you could see that they were distressed. And we asked people to come up and pray. And, and I remember Katie came up front and laid hands on both of them. And she started to pray in tongues over them. And this couple broke and just were weeping. And she went back to her seat. And when it was done, the one lady says, where is the lady that speaks Greek? And they said, we don't have anybody here that speaks Greek. Yes. She prayed for us in Greek. Our village, language. That was the local dialect of her village. And I said, there was only one person praying for you, and that was Katie, Katie Rue. She's one of our deacon's wives, and she's from Arkansas. <laughs> and... And they said, well, you must speak to her. So they went back and they talked to her. She didn't have a clue what they were saying. It was supernatural. It was supernatural what happened. And because of that, they thought, God knew what we were going through. And she prayed things that, that we needed to hear and have prayed over us. Amazing. Mosen came to our house with Hassan. We used to have... And, and Mosen was a Kurd who was also an Iranian citizen. There are other ethnic groups besides Persians in uh, Iran. And he came with Hassan. Hassan was not a believer. We used to have Iranians come in. We thought we'd go work with Turks. It turns out it was Iranians. I remember the first time we had nine Iranian guys sitting around our table. And uh, Hamid said, hey, Kurt, what? Aren't you afraid of us? I go, why? He said, we're Iranian. We could be terrorists. <laughs> and I said, nah. I said, would you walk through my front door with that newly installed metal detector I had there and it didn't go off? I knew I was fine. <laughs> and they laughed. And I mean, we had so many good times with Iranians because they, they have a sense of humor very much like Americans. You know, you can't lump them all under what the regime does. Okay? So we learned all of this. We learned this. We learned a whole lot of things. Mosen came after this, and, and uh, you could tell he was He was shaken like this at our table. He had scars all down one side of his neck. And he smelt like a smokestack, and you could smell the alcohol. Not a very good Muslim. He was very troubled. And we met, and Hassan said, Ann and Kurt, they're good people. Ann's a good cook. And they said, but sometimes they, they may talk about Jesus. Don't listen to that. Just come for the food. But he, he said, I would like to talk to you sometime. And Hassan said, why do you want to talk to him? It's my affair. So after it was done, I, you know, and I said, you know, sometime I'm going uh, to have you over. We had, we had a little meeting room downstairs. We had a big screen TV. We'd show the Jesus film in the Farsi language, which is Persian. And uh, so we went downstairs, and I was praying, Lord, give me a chance to talk to him. And so Hassan said, can I use your bathroom? 
I said, yes. And so he went and used the bathroom. The Lord moves in mysterious ways, okay? And so up he went, and I said, I will come and get you without Hassan, and we'll, go, we'll watch the Jesus film together. That'd be great. And while Hassan comes back, he goes, what were you guys talking about? And before I even could think, I said, I was just telling Mosan that I have the Jesus film in Farsi and uh, that uh, I'm going to come and get him sometime from the center, refugee center, and, and we're going to come back here and watch it together without you. <laughs> he said, why not now? And I said, okay. <laughs> so we watched it, and they rewound it there were things that kind of triggered their interest. One was when Jesus would talk to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, with their big turbans, they thought that was so cool. And it was because how could he have the guts to talk to these people of power in ways that we would lose our necks? And then they also would stop and ask to have replayed when they saw how Jesus talked to women because Jesus respected women in ways that they weren't used to seeing. Interesting, huh? And when it was done, Mosin said to me, would you pray for me that my guilt will go away? I found out later he was a freedom fighter. I don't know all that he had done. I don't know all that he had done. But he was a freedom fighter. And uh, he says, I pray that my guilt will go away. I want my guilt to go away. And I knew that I, you know, they, they kind of saw me as a holy man. And, and I knew that I can't take his guilt away. You know, only Jesus could take his guilt away. And so I kind of preached, prayed. I said, Lord, I'm praying right now for Mosen, who would like to have his guilt taken away. And you know, Lord, I can't take his guilt away. Only you can. Through what you did on the cross and through the blood that you shed. And you have risen in power. And you can take away his guilt. And that's what I'm praying, Lord, for Mosen right now. And he said, when he said, look at my arms. I mean, his hair was stand up. He had goosebumps. I mean, something was happening. And, and uh, I didn't see him for another week. And he told me, he says, I have to tell you what happened. He said, the, uh, I went home and I went to bed and I had this dream. And in this dream, he said, I was in a field. You were with me, Kurt, in the dream. But there was, over in one corner of the field, there was like a hundred of us. And off in the far corner, there was a man standing all by himself. And I said, who is that? And you said, it's Jesus. And I said, would you go ask him to help me with all my problems? And you told me, Kurt, you can go ask him yourself. It sounded kind of rude, you know, but it was a dream, okay? So, and... I took him over, he said, to Jesus. And he said, he's not going to understand me. He says, I don't, my German isn't that good. My English isn't that good. But he says, and I know he doesn't speak Farsi. And I said, oh, yeah, he does. So I took him over, and I said, get down on your knees. And he got down, and he, he said, Jesus looked down at me, and I looked up at him, and I said, would you help me with my problems? And he said, Jesus put his hand towards me and took my hand and in perfect Farsi said to me, Mosan, if you will keep your hand in mine, I will help you with your problems. And he said, and I, the dream ended and I got up, look. I mean, his hand stopped shaking. He says, I haven't had a cigarette 
for a week. I haven't had a thing to drink for a week. Something's happened to me. And I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's supernatural. You know, it's supernatural what happened to you. And then within two weeks, he was gone. The government took him out of the center and took him to a place, and I had no idea where he was. And I said to Hassan, where did they take Mosa? And he said, I don't know. I go, come on, you've got to have an idea where he is. I don't know. And I thought for sure he knew, but he wasn't going to tell me. And it was two and a half months later, something inside of me was saying, you've got to get a hold of Mosan. And so I asked Hassan again. I said, do you know how to get in touch with him? Do you have a phone number? And he said, yeah, I got a number. I said, you had it all along, didn't you? You stinker. <laughs> and he gave it to me, and I called him, and we connected. And this is what he told me. He says, after they got, I got moved, it was Schweinfurt, just a little village outside of Schweinfurt. And he uh, said, I, I thought, I'm going to go to church. But I went into this. There are two state churches in Germany. I went to the, to the one and talked to the priest. And the priest, he looked at me. He says, I've been doing this for 50 years, and I've never seen Jesus. Why should you, as a Muslim, get to see him? And he said, I was so mad at him. He says, I stood up and I said, I will never go to your church. And so, that's my alarm. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> Thank you very much for having... Can I tell them just the end of the story? Okay. See, I, this is my submission tool. So he said, I didn't know what I was going to do, so I went to the other church, which is what they call Evangelisch, which is more predominantly Lutheran, but has some Reformed and other smaller groups, and it's a state church. He said, and I went in there, and in the back of the pews, they had these books, and I opened them up, and I, I looked at it, and it, it said, uh, everything like you believe. And I thought, this is just what like Kurt believes. He said, I couldn't wait for people to come. And then they all came, and they sat there, and the service started. And I started looking around, and I thought, they have it in their books, but they don't have it in their hearts. And I stopped going. And he said it wasn't long after that, this guy came knocking at my door, and he said he was a, a Jehovah's Witness. And he, and he brought me stuff, and I felt really bad then because I hadn't brought anything, you know. But he brought me stuff, and he talked to me, and he talked to me, and he said, but he didn't sound like you. He didn't sound like you at all. And so I was kind of confused. But he kept coming, and he kept bringing me stuff. And one day I got really, really confused, and I said, Lord, what, what am I supposed to believe? I, help me. He says, and you called me that day. See, th this is why, this is supernatural. You know, he was really in a, in a fix again. He was in a troubled spot. And then God spoke to me and said, you really got to get a hold of Mosan again. And so I showed up, I called on the day when he had prayed. And then I showed up, and, but the other guy kept showing up too, kept bringing stuff. And he said, and he didn't want to offend him because he had been nice to him and brought him stuff. And so and then he was really confused. He reconnected with me, and, you know, I was talking with him and praying with him. And he didn't. So he says, I laid down, and I said, Lord, I wish you would just tell me. Show me. And he said, I, I had a dream, 
And the Lord came to me in the dream and said, you listen to Kurt, he's telling you the truth. I thought, how cool is that? Jesus knows my name. <laughs> Jesus, I knew it theologically, but here's a guy that just gets a dream and, and, and the Lord is saying, listen to Kurt. I kind of had a little discussion with the Lord. I said, why don't you do that like every time I preach? You know, like when, when all of you have your nap this afternoon, Listen to that guy. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. You see, God knew how to get a hold of Mosin. We were there because people sent us. Because people that said, well, I can't go, but I could probably give to support and help. And, and so we got, we got to go and be there for that moment. We came back. And we ended up having an international church. The things that, everything, everything all comes together. But the, the point for Mosin was, is that God knew how to get to his heart. And you know what? God has to get to your heart first. And then he wants to challenge you so you don't just get stuck on self-improvement. What can I do next? Some of you... You know, I may be that little brochure that my dad gave me back in 1972. And, and the next time an opportunity comes up, you'll think, well, I don't want to do that. And then maybe you think, well, maybe I should. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't, you know, uh, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're whining right now and complaining about life. Maybe God is wanting to touch your life and get you outside of that and realize the world's a lot bigger. And you know what? Sometimes one of the best things, you can, you can overthink your problems until you're more miserable. Or you can say, I've got to do something good for somebody else and, and move beyond that. And so if you say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Then I want to encourage you. You know, the Bible talks about tithing. It, it, there's no negotiation I see in Scripture on that. But when it talks about contribution, it says, let each one determine in his own heart before God what he should do. And so you'll have opportunity to drop that faith promise in there. I started giving to missions very strongly after I went the first time because I realized, wow, the world is a lot bigger place and there are a lot more needs than just me. And I have not been able to stop since then. And so during this missions emphasis time in your church, think, what is God trying to do in me? Is he trying to give me a gentle, loving shove to reach out to other people? Is he wanting to give me a, a, a gentle nudge to push me in a way to... No, that can't be you, God. That's too much. I told people, you know what? If you just did $5, and everybody that started out with $5, it seems like they never ended up there. They realized, oh, if I could do 5 I could probably do 10 and then I could probably do 20 So in all of that, God is working in here. But first of all, I want to talk to those that you have something right now. You say, and I'm speaking English, so I know most of you, I'm right, we're on the same wavelength. But I think it goes even deeper as a work of the Spirit that there is something God is trying to say to you today 
that when when it, maybe through something I said or right now he's speaking to you and telling you something in regards to what you're going through, that you're going, I know he's speaking to me. I know he's speaking to me. So if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior today, I mean, and we all need to be saved. There's none righteous, no, not one. Everybody's got difficulties. Everybody's got problems. And I'm here to tell you that I don't care how many times the enemy has tried to take me out in my life. Jesus has been there to help me from the day I was born until recently. God is there. And if you say, you know what? Today's the day. I need more than just what I'm able to try to figure out on my own. Because it's not working real well. And I need Jesus to come in to my heart and do his work because I'm not able to do this on my own. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Yes. Is there anybody else? Please pray for me, Pastor Kurt. Pray for me. Yes, yes. I need, I need, I need help from him. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? I've not really, really allowed him to come in and do what needs to be done. We can put on a good veneer, a good front sometimes. But when nobody sees you and you're not here and you're not smiling and you're not and you're all by yourself and you can't sleep, that's when you need what I'm talking about that Jesus speaks a language you understand. One more? Anybody? I really, I do need this. I do need this. Anybody? We're going to pray in a few moments, and there are going to be people up here that will come forward, and you can pray with them. And if you say, you know, because I'm not going to make you come up here right now, but I'm asking if you raise your hand to find one of the people here that can tell you more about that. For those of you that already know the Lord, I don't know. Are you stuck? Are you in a rut? Is this really, you know, it's like, yeah, I know, I believe. I'm not talking about what you believe in. I'm not talking about what you nod your head. Yes, yes, that's true. I'm, I'm asking you, what's working inside of you? What's, what's happening inside of you? Maybe you need a nudge. to think beyond yourself right now. And, and if you say, oh, I don't know, what are you asking? I don't know what God's asking you to do. But I know that he makes it clear if you'll just open yourself up to him and say, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. I just, and you know, I'm not here to tell you where that'll end up. For some of you, 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 uh, you'll, you'll go over for a trip and your life will not be the same. But others... You may, uh, you may end up going full time. And, and others, you say, you know what? I just, I know that I got to stretch out beyond. If you're in a rut, spiritually, and you're stuck, maybe you're spinning around in circles because 
you, even as a Christian, have become the center of your world. And Jesus is trying to get you to move beyond that. And it's interesting, if you take two pencils with a rubber band and you stretch it way out, way out, and picture that as reaching out to the world, feel the tension in the rubber band on the other pencil. As soon as you lift it up, you will feel that pencil move in that direction. Why? Because you stretched out in one way, it takes you along with it. You know, so don't wait until, well, I gotta wait until my life is perfect. <laughs> wakey, wakey, you're never gonna be perfect. But if you, I just wanna be obedient. I just wanna do what he wants me to do. Father, in Jesus' name, we're praying now, Lord, that your spirit will just move in our hearts and draw us in, draw us closer. Lord, you do what you want to do. Lord, I'm praying that the, the work of your spirit will take place right now in our hearts. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish, but I pray, Lord, that you will first of all speak into the lives of those that raised their hands and said, I really need him. So I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand, that you come and find somebody. Just You don't have to come up and be by yourself. Just find somebody and say, would you pray with me? about this, I encourage you. I know it's a big step, but you know what? It might be a little uncomfortable to declare yourself, but you know what? It's the first step in a great journey. So I encourage you to come. Once they start singing, come. And if you sense there's some tugging going on in your heart that I think God's giving me a nudge in a direction which is outside my comfort zone, and I'm wanting to move in that direction, I want to follow him in that, then I want you to come too. Present yourself. Say, Lord, I don't know where this is leading. I don't know exactly what it is. I just know that I don't, I don't want to be stuck. I don't just want to be a Christian in name only. I want something working inside of me. Then I encourage you to come up here and just find a place and ask somebody to pray with you or just pray on your own and just surrender yourself. So come, please, go ahead and lead us in some.
there's healing, and we just renew our minds to that, Father. This is who you are. This is who you are. We press into you, God. We press into everything that you have for us today. And we're just going to go after you. We're just going to go after you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We come after your presence. We come after your presence. Let hope arise. Let faith arise in this place, in our hearts. Let hope arise. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. There's a mighty work to be done.
How many of you know God doesn't just work through the people with the name tags on who went to Bible college, but if you're a believer, he has given you the kingdom without measure. And so can we just take a minute and just minister to one another? Could you, maybe someone in your row, someone you didn't come with, how about that? Um, someone near you, could you just say, hey, can I pray for you? Anything I can pray for you about? Um, and just take a minute just to minister in the spirit of Christ that if you're a believer, you have in you now, can we take a minute and do that as we sing this last song? Just check in on your neighbor. How are you doing? Can I pray for you? Anything I can, can I help bear any burden? Take a minute. Do it now as we sing.
together and then we're going to sing this song of worship for those who are still praying together just keep praying but for those that might need to go would you pray with me our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Let's worship. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare. God is my victory and he is here. I will bring praise. I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and He is here. All of my life, all of my life, in every season, You are still God, I have a reason to sing. All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and He is here. I will bring praise, I will bring praise, no weapon forged against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory. Amen. God is good. 
He's good. He's good. Amen. Would you encourage somebody before you go? Hug somebody before you go.